0: Welcome to the Jesus Enemies Podcast. I'm Derek. I have Larry here with me. The book of Daniel introduces a figure that is said to be a shadow of the Messiah. A figure who, when no other God shows up, he will. Whose eyes burn with fire, and his feet are like brass. This figure is central to prophecies of the New Testament the question is who is this man of prophecy we'll get into it right after the break hey don't quit skip just yet or whatever you do with ads we're going to be taking a couple weeks off after this episode to give ourselves some time to rest and reset and get a couple weeks of summer in before school starts back and all the craziness starts happening. So, we're going to be kicking off our new Abraham series on Wednesday, July 26th. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be an awesome series. Remember, if you haven't followed us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, it's at Jesus Name Network. Enjoy the rest of this episode. Listen, you know, we have a new podcast out called That Pentecostal Podcast. Episodes are already available. So, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's happening over at TPP?
1: Yeah, we saw a need for a devotional podcast in the Pentecostal realm. We saw a need just for a short, uplifting moment that we can give to people. And so we decided that we're gonna do it. We're gonna make one, we're gonna put it out there. It's gonna include us, it's gonna include our new members of the team. It's gonna have Derek, it's gonna have me, it's gonna have Adrian, it's gonna have some other people, we're gonna have guests, and we're gonna bring to you life-applicable, faith-building, Holy Ghost fire emotionals every single Monday.
0: That Pentecostal podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. So go set it to download, set it to notify you, whatever you need to do. But don't miss that Pentecostal podcast every Monday.
2: Welcome back to the Jesus Name News podcast. This week, we are finishing up our series on men of integrity, which is our look at the book of Daniel and the prophecies contained in the book of Daniel and the stories of the book of Daniel. And this week, we are zeroing in on one very important question and, and one, well, possibly two particular figures in the book of Daniel. um. One we've talked about already, and that's the the fourth man in the fiery furnace, and another one we'll talk about a passage a little further along in the book of Daniel. But ultimately, the question of this, ap- this episode of the Jesus Name News podcast is, who is this man of prophecy?
0: Well, I mean, most people are either going to say Jesus, an angel, a theophany, or I mean, maybe there's something else out there I don't. I don't yeah. see how you would come up with anything else like otherwise you're kind of being a pagan. In my opinion, but yeah, yeah, I
2: mean it's it's like one of those things like what is it and what does that mean and what are the implications of that. But let's let's look at what the Bible tells us because ultimately I think that the best place to interpret scripture is with scripture and so if it poses a question, I think a lot of times it's either the answer is A, you don't need to know, or B We'll learn it from there. So let's see what it says. But first, let's take a look at these passages. The first one we talked about a few weeks ago, but we're just going to briefly touch on it again because A, it's a great story, and B, it's important to this. And so Daniel 3:24 through25.
0: Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, "Did we not cast three men bound into the fire?" The answered and said to the king, "True, O king." He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, which the KJV says, son of God. Capitalized all specifically. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. So that's the the fourth man in the fiery furnace. That's the first person that we aren't told who it is. Because after this, Nebuchadnezzar pulls the three Hebrew men. At this point, out of the fire, he makes a decree about how their God is to be recognized in the empire. But that fourth man is never talked about again. Like, he's not there when they go to when they call the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. So he's never named, he's never mentioned again. This is literally the only description we get. So then later on in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, we come to Daniel and he's. I think he's mourning the state of Israel. Okay, And so in Daniel 10, 2 through 6, if you want to read that.
0: In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lift my eyes and look. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Okay, I just want to point this out, and, but he
2: didn't anoint himself at all for three weeks. In my mind, is dude saying he didn't bathe?
0: No, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't. I mean,
2: I would hope not, but I'm trying to figure out, like, what's, when would they, like, I'm trying to, like, eating, I understand. Like, I get what he's saying he didn't eat and stuff, but, like, then he's like, I didn't anoint myself, and I'm like, maybe he didn't go to temple of some sort? I don't know. But I was just like in my head, I was just listening to you read it and for the first time it hit me. I'm like, is bro saying didn't bathe? I mean like is he teaches st- on, Is right? he a stinky prophet here?
0: I mean, let's be real the late Bronze Age. He's probably a stinky prophet anyway. Most people probably stink anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't know, it just hit me weird when you read that. Like I back to our important topic though which is the person that he sees. He sees this man who is just, I mean, just the description is, you know, I mean, that, that, is, that is a sight to behold. Clothes in linen, belt of fine gold, body like barrel, face like lightning, eyes like flaming torches, arms and legs like the gleam of bronze, and the sound was the sound of a multitude. This person's not named. Daniel never gives an explanation of who this person he sees is, okay? He continues on, and there's a whole prophecy. I think it's, like, the last three chapters are all communication with this person. He never says who it is. He doesn't give an indication. So, before this investigation goes further, though, I just want to make clear we're going to make one leap, and I cannot tell you why we're making this leap, because I don't really have a reason for it but it makes sense. And that leap is that we're going to go with the assumption that the fourth man in the fiery furnace and the man in Daniel 10 is the same man. Okay, now I'm not saying these are good reasons, but this is my logic, is that it has to do with the idea of how Babylonians saw their deities. So Babylonian deities, they don't have a whole lot of written descriptions of them, but we have a little bit of information, okay? The, the idols depicted them as things. so like. Marduk would have been the primary deity at this time, and his idols were like dragons and serpents and things of that nature. But the Babylonians, by and large, they believed that their deities were human. Okay, like their actual presence and their actual living state was that like a man. This was pretty standard,
0: right? I mean, so far it feels like any other mythology you read about.
2: Yeah, Egypt, Greek, Rome, Norse. A lot of them can become big monster creatures, but by and large, the base of the deities are human Mostly
0: human. Humanoid. Yeah.
2: Humanoid. Okay? So, these deities, they had this thing called Milam. M-E-L-A-M is how it's spelled. Not sure how to say it, because nobody knows what it is. It's not described. There's no pictures, there's no drawings that I could find. Now, I'm going to admit I am not the utmost expert on ancient mythology and history and all of that kind of thing, but basically, I couldn't just figure out what this is, except for it was some substances that covered them, like something they wore, that covered them in quote-unquote
0: terrifying splendor. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds like what we would call the glory or something yes. of the sort.
2: Yeah, Exactly. Now, the substance could be worn by anybody. It was not exclusive to the deities, but it was worn by the deities. It could be worn by a hero or even a demon. Fair enough. Okay. But when a human looked at it, the person would experience me, ni, an eye, I'm guessing on the pronunciation. And this is best translated as physical creeping of the flesh. Goosebumps. Yeah. And the thing is, is I know physical creeping sounds a little negative almost, but you have to understand that terrifying splendor isn't negative. So the reaction to that terrifying splendor wouldn't be negative necessarily.
0: But we say it sounds creepy, but what do you do when you get goosebumps? You shiver a little bit. Yeah. That is, that is creeping. Like you're, you're withdrawing a little
2: bit. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like, just remember that by goosebumps. It doesn't just mean the bad goosebumps cuz you get goosebumps for good things too sort of.
0: Well yeah, I mean you get goosebumps to tell you about danger, you get goosebumps to tell you about good things, right? It's a yeah. it's an adrenal response.
2: Yes. And so that's the thing. Terrifying splendor, it's amazing Be to behold, causes grief, fear. I mean, let's be real here. That sounds pretty close to you know, how people describe meeting Theophanies and other places in the Bible are meeting angels. You know, Moses comes yeah. to the burning bush and he's terrified. Yeah. And you know, Ezekiel that sees... That is exactly how it sounds. I mean, I don't even know how to describe what Ezekiel saw, but it's crazy. And yeah, was, I
0: always think about, you know, Mary. Gabriel comes to Mary. He's like, do not be afraid. <laughs> like, sir, this is the most terrified I have been in my entire life. Yeah.
3: <laughs> like, like, you sir, showed
0: up and you have, like, Twelve of eyes and three heads like yeah what do you want me to do
2: because you have to remember the thing about babylon that you have to remember is that babylonian culture and babylonian deities aren't really babylonian yeah okay you're right in my research trying to figure out like what what would nebuchadnezzar have seen as a son of a god or the son of god and everything was like yeah there's only like two deities that babylon would have believed in That we could even make an argument actually originated in Babylon. Everything else was just adopted from people they took over.
0: I mean, that's the way cultural diffusion works, though. I mean, through trade or war.
2: But the thing about that is is that this almost exactly describes God or the angel of God or the messenger of God in the Bible. And then the exact reaction to it that the people in the Bible have. Like
3: to me like is mary afraid yes but is it terror i don't think so
2: i don't i don't think mary is really terrified when gabriel comes she's overwhelmed terror. she realizes that she is nothing in comparison to what is standing in front of her but i don't think like terrified like some giant monster is about to destroy her is really an accurate description of how she
0: was I think you could go either way with it because you, you're experiencing something that you've never experienced in your life. I mean, think about how we bring people to church and as Pentecostals, they come in and they experience something that they've never experienced in their entire life. Yeah. it They get a little bit scared or afraid yeah. or creeped out, whatever you want to call it, but it still happens whether we like it or not.
2: Yeah, but that's still not like... I guess what I'm saying is it's not a fear for your life fear. You know, it's kind of like that fear, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And it's like, well, respecting God's authority and who he is is the beginning of wisdom. Being terrified of God, like he's just begging to destroy you isn't really. So it's just, I don't know. It just, it's super, it just jumps out to me that this is so similar. And it fits the description of the man with those Hebrew men and it fits the description of the man that Daniel saw, is, is that kind of thing. Like, who would not just be in awe of seeing the person that Daniel described? Here's the thing. Since the descriptions aren't in disagreement, we're just going to assume they're the same. Okay? But here's the other reason. There are other figures in the book of Daniel that appear- make appearances. Okay? And I'm not going to count, like, the four beasts, because those are beasts, but other humanoid figures, okay? We're going to read two quick passages
0: uh, that tell us these. Uh, Daniel eight fifteen and 16. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Eli, and, the, and it called Gabriel. Make this man understand the vision. Yes,
2: and then Daniel nine twenty one.
0: While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen the vision at the first, came in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice.
2: Gabriel appears similar to a man, but Gabriel is named. Michael also is named later on. Okay, I don't know if Michael appears to Daniel for sure offhand or if he he's just mentioned as doing things but he is mentioned but this the man in Daniel 3 in the fiery furnace is not the man in Daniel 9 Daniel 10 is never named so who is this man of prophecy now the king james bible tries to answer that question directly for us just inform us of the the meaning of the passage and what they think it is here's the thing, I'm not going to come out and tell you that what they're saying is entirely necessarily wrong, because we're going to talk about what this means a little later, but I am going to tell you that when the King James Version says that it is Son of God, and Son and God are capitalized, meaning explicitly Jesus, it doesn't fit the passage. What Nebuchadnezzar is quoted as saying in the King James Version of the Bible is basically Nebuchadnezzar looking at the furnace turning to the people in his court and going, but I see four in the furnace, and the fourth one is Jesus Christ, the Messiah who's going to die for our sins in 30 AD. And that just doesn't make sense. Like, he wouldn't have had a concept of any of this. He wouldn't have had an understanding of a singular son of divine authority of a singular God.
0: What I'm understanding is you're not saying that the idea is wrong you're saying that our understanding of what he meant or the idea is wrong
2: yeah i'm not saying their idea is wrong we are not there yet we're going to talk about what who the man is and what we think it is i'm not saying the idea is wrong however what they decided to put in that was absolutely them putting what their belief about who this man was in the passage and it doesn't belong in that way because those words right there's two Hebrew words that are used to make son of God. One is bar, and one is I think el. There's some apostrophes, and there's a whole bunch of them, and I don't know how to pronounce
0: it properly. Well, it, it depends. So if it's Daniel, would have been written in probably Aramaic. Yeah. So if if it meant son of the gods, it would have been probably bar bar elim, uh, which is the plural form of el. Yeah. Uh, which is the generic version of just God, and or, which I might have those backwards. I'm not like an extreme fundamentalist about, or un- I don't understand the fundamentals of Hebrew language, and yeah. Aramaic language. But if it was Son of
3: God, it would have been Bar L, which is just God. Yeah. According to my trusty blue-letter Bible, it's like E-L-A,
2: and it just means deity. It just means a divine thing. It's not talking about a specific divine anything.
0: And that sounds like a, an
2: Aramaic... Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a generic word. So the first one means sun. so it's like the son of a generic God, which... The thing is, is that fits how Nebuchadnezzar would talk. Nebuchadnezzar would not have talked of one ultimate divine deity, and even if he did, because that's the thing—that Marlik, I think it's Marlik—is how you pronounce it, Marduk that, or
0: Marduk—that
2: we yeah. talked about for a moment earlier. I think we talked about him, but um, he was the primary god of the time in Babylon. Okay, here's the thing, Marduk—he became so widespreadly followed that there's a period of time around the reign of Nebuchadnezzar that you could have made an argument that Babylon was monotheistic. And this Marduk god was casually referred
3: to simply as Lord. They didn't always name him. Fair enough. Okay. (laughs) Now, now, Part of that also makes me wonder if part of what, if, if some of
2: these stories could have been connected to how that happened, but the details got lost to history a little bit, like maybe one God reigned supreme because these Hebrew boys got in the temple of Nebuchadnezzar and the truth of what they believed wreaked so much habit that it destroyed the pantheon of Babylon for a period of time. And then they never admitted how. Fair enough. Like uh. I see it. I yeah, get there's it. there's no way to prove it. There's no way to verify it. But it's interesting. it's kind of like when we talked about Egypt, and you can find brief mentions of things that fit the Hebrew story, but you can't find the whole Hebrew story that fits perfectly. Yeah, you know, like, it's just too far, it's too long ago. It's too far back. And so... Every detail doesn't fit what we have in history but that doesn't mean that the details disagree with history. So we know that the King James translation is a little off but who is the man of prophecy which brings us back to Daniel 10 and that is the passage we're going to talk about for the next little while because it gives a much more detailed description and it gives us more information in fact I would argue that this the passage in Daniel 10 and the description of the man in Daniel 10 gives us a definitive answer of who this man of prophecy actually is. And it gives it to us in a way that fits in the context of what is being said and is answered by scripture itself. When we come back from our brief break in about 60 seconds, we're going to talk about it and we're going to find the answer to who this man of prophecy actually is.
0: Listen. You know, we have a new podcast out called That Pentecostal Podcast. Episodes are already available. So Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what's happening over at TPP?
1: Yeah, we saw a need for a devotional podcast in the Pentecostal realm. We saw a need just for a short, uplifting moment that we can give to people. And so we decided that we're going to do it. We're going to make one. We're going to put it out there. It's going to include us. It's going to include our new members of the team. It's going to have Derek. It's going to have me. It's going to have Adrian. It's going to have some other people. We're going to have guests. And we're going to bring to you life applicable, faith building, holy ghost fire devotionals every single Monday.
0: That Pentecostal podcast is available everywhere you get your podcast. So go set it to download, set it to notify you, whatever you need to do. But don't miss that Pentecostal podcast every Monday.
2: Welcome back to the Jesus Name News Podcast. This week, we are talking about the man of prophecy that appears in the book of Daniel and who he is. So who is this man? Who stood in the fiery furnace? The truth is, is that answer that we're looking for is actually older than we realize. It's actually 2,000 years old almost, and it comes directly from the book of Revelation. So if you would read in Revelation chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, John is on Patmos, and he is visited by a very, very dear friend of his who he liked to rest his head on the bosom of.
0: And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength.
2: The Revelation of John and the Book of Daniel—they're apocalypses, right? So, apocalypses is a style of writing that was popular at the time. Okay, it, it, it be like, it be like if somebody wrote a harlequin romance about. God somehow. Don't say Song of Solomon. I didn't say it, you did. It was just yeah, I just thought of that. I didn't even mean to do that, but um, and it was just remembered thousands of years later and people were reading and they were just like, What does this mean? I don't understand any of this. It makes no sense. Why are any of these decisions being made in this writing? Here's the thing. It was a genre. It was not just something that happened in the Bible, okay? The only apocalypses that exist are not Daniel, Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are just the only ones in the Bible. Jews weren't even the only ones to write apocalypses. They were written in many cultures of this area at this time. So these books are using similar tricks and they're using, you know, allusions to things that are similar and they're genre specific. But here's the thing you cannot look at these passages, compare them to each other. And not come to the absolute conclusion that John believed that Daniel saw Jesus.
0: When I first read these two passages, that's probably 12, 13. You know, you're reading through the Bible for your first time. And I got really hyper-fixated on like the end times. Don't ask me why. I don't know. Everybody does. Yeah. I'd read Daniel chapter 10. Or obviously, I, I went to Revelations first because... That's where everybody starts. Yeah. And then that led me to, ja- to Daniel chapter 10. And when I first tried these, I was like, I was mind blown. I was like, you can't tell me that none of this is real when they're seeing the same exact division, you know, 500, 600 years apart. Yeah. It's insane. It, it is. It- it's just
2: every detail either agrees or is not. I mean, they're wearing a robe. They have gold around their waist, like a belt or a sash that's on the sword. The skin is bronze. The eyes are fire. The face is shining like sun or lightning. The, the voice roars. Because let's be real here. 30,000 people in roaring water does not sound that
0: different. So I also have something else. that I forgot where I heard this or read this somewhere. It was about Jesus after the resurrection. His own mother doesn't recognize him, right? She assumes him to be the gardener. And yeah. Jesus looks her and says, Mary, and I, I've said it before, like, no one says your name like Jesus. Right. And she immediately knew it was Jesus. And the, the kind of thought process is, is that like what Jesus went through would have put his body in such shock that his hair would have turned white and his beard would have any hair, facial hair would be white because that's what trauma and that's what shock does to the body. It's a, it's kind of like a coping response, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at this, and I, I don't believe Daniel chapter 10 necessarily says anything about hair and all that, right? all, um, It doesn't. It doesn't. No, so, hair is not mentioned in Daniel 10. So when he's saying this, I immediately make the jump back to like what I heard about or what I read about, the body's response to trauma and shock and john talking about his hair and his beard because maybe to daniel when he's just seeing this maybe his hair and beard are that of a typical middle eastern person or something like i don't know and i'm not passing that off as absolute factual true and all that i'm just saying it makes sense to me when i put it in the context of the body's response to trauma that John would be like, oh, his hairs were were white, because when did Jesus die? He was between the age of 33 and 36. Mm-hmm. Your hair is typically not white as snow when you're 33 to 36 years old, unless you're Larry. So Hey, hey, my hair idiot. is not that white. I have streaks of gray, not full. Like, come on. I kid. But seriously, that's what I immediately think about when I... When I look at this,
2: yeah, and that's the thing is that they match. They they just they do, and it brings up all kinds of questions. But it tells us why people assume that the fourth man in the furnace is Jesus, right? Because it matches Daniel ten and it fits. Okay, it gives us an explanation why so many theophanies are assumed to be Jesus specifically. So I've, I've wondered that a lot, and quite honestly, I've never seen the explanation that the reason that so many Theophanies are thought specifically to be Jesus and not just God representing himself as a man, is because Daniel 10 explicitly is said to be by John Jesus. Yeah. So if and Daniel I, and I think that's can see fair. Jesus in Daniel 10, and John is telling us that the people who saw Jesus... Are telling us that that was Jesus, that assuming that any other theophany that was a man was Jesus as well, isn't as big of a
3: stretch as it is without that fact.
0: Unless you're Jewish.
3: Well, yeah. But I, I mean, even then, it,
2: that being Jesus brings up so many questions about dispensation yeah. and incarnation and how time functions and...
0: Well, and I'll always say that just because I want people to think about we're viewing this from a Christian perspective, right? Yeah. How are the Jews viewing this on the other side of that, right? So they're not thinking of it as maybe Jesus. They're thinking of it as a true theophany of God or an angel.
2: Yeah, relative, I, would, I would venture that they probably assume that Daniel 10 is God somehow because it's said to be above Michael and Gabriel. Yeah. What's above Michael and Gabriel? I mean, God. That's it. it. Yeah. That's, that's the end. That's the end of the I list. I mean,
0: Gabriel's the messenger and Michael is the archangel and he gets to blow the trumpet at the end. Yeah. So go with it.
2: And so that brings us to the last thing that I want to talk about briefly because just to be honest with you, this last part is entirely conjecture. There is no hard anything in this last little bit. And that is. What are they trying to say? Like, what is the point of what Daniel is saying? Why? John is repeating it, but what are they trying to get across? Because this is the thing. I don't think they just said—they didn't just say things back then, right? The 12 tribes of Israel weren't the 12 tribes of Israel because they were factually 12 tribes of Israel. They were the 12 tribes of Israel because they were the complete tribes of Israel. Because Joseph got two tribes, so there were more tribes, and there were sub-tribes, and there were other tribes stuff like there were what is the point of any of this and, and we can, can have some conjecture about this see in daniel it says that he's wearing linen right in revelation it just says a long row linen is specifically mentioned as the material of the priestly garments in the old testament though right yeah you know linen is representing some sort of holy clothing it's what what the clothes that had to be holy and set apart were Another interesting thing from Daniel is it says gold from Ufaz specifically
0: around his waist.
2: And Revelation is just a gold sash. Here's a, a fun question for you. Where is Uphaz?
0: Dude, I, I mean, I assume northern Israel. It doesn't maybe. exist. Okay, well, see, you didn't have to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry. It was a trick question. So here's the thing. Ufaz does not exist. There is no place that anyone knows of. It's kind of like the reeds, the sea of reeds thing. We know the sea of reeds because it describes enough information about it to know that they were calling it the sea of reeds, but it was actually what we call the Red Sea. The problem is is that they're calling a place Uphaz, but the only thing we're told about Uphaz is two things. In Jeremiah 10:9, they get gold from there, and in Jeremiah gold. or Daniel 10:5, they get gold from there. That's it. It's some kind of gold mine. But nobody so because, knows
0: where from. Yeah, it looks like gold of uh, Phasis or Python.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's some kind of really fancy gold that probably had some kind of meaning to the culture at the time, but no one knows what that meaning is anymore because we don't have any idea what Ufas is. It could mean just about anything. But gold means, you know, royalty. It means it's a precious metal. It's very valuable. We know that, but like some of this stuff we have no idea what it really means. The body being like beryl, this is probably referencing that Babylonian and Mesopotamian thought of deities having that mellum material, Mm -hmm. right? And because beryl is a precious stone known for hardness and brilliance, it represents power and glory. Well, Here's the thing. If you look at it and it represents and it's it's showing how powerful and glorious literally God is, that's going to put some terror in you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it fits it like it's like this is this. You could argue that this is the best description of what Melum actually is in existence in Daniel 10, because it gives it it connects the idea, the similar idea in a similar function to something that actually exists in the real world. But okay. again, no idea what that represents because we don't know enough about the audience. The eyes are flaming like fire. I feel like, what do you think that one means?
0: Like, offhand, like, what does that mean? Eyes flaming like... Yeah, I've never I've never pictured it as actual flames of fire, right? Like, I, I know I've seen the memes and the graphics and they all have, like, these actual flames. But to me, that as a rational, logical human, I guess. That just doesn't make sense to me. It so yeah, it uh, feels I, symbolic. Yeah. It feels symbolic of like intensity and, you know, all knowing, all powerful. You know, fire, what does it do when it burns? It consumes everything. Meaning the hey, their gaze like it is consuming. You know yeah. how is God described as uh, I believe it's Hebrews and it's the last verse to be either Hebrews done or Hebrews 10. Um, he says, for our God is a consuming fire. That's exactly how I picture it. His eyes are consuming. When you look into them, you're there. You're yeah. enraptured.
2: Yeah. He's, all of that. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's, that's what the most likely thing it means is that, is that his eyes, they see everything. They see the pure, unadulterated truth. All the fakeness, all the things we do to hide who we are and what we are and what we think, it all fades away in his sight.
0: I mean, and and, and what else do you know? We say God sees everything. He's so he's all knowing, omniscient, omnipresent. And what does he say that our uh, works will be tried in at the end? Tried in fire. Yeah. Right? Fire of his eyes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's. That's good stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. His voice is like the multitude, like
0: just, just the power of the roar. I think this is the one that gets me the most. Like you talk about like that creeping feeling. Yeah. You know, that's the one that gets me the most because if you've been near like a dam or if you've been near the ocean, right, you understand the roar of the waves, the roar, which, sorry, Larry, maybe you go to the Great Lakes. I don't know. But, I've been to
2: the ocean.
0: Uh, oh, that's surprising. Uh,
2: I have traveled. A little. A little. Uh, a little. I've been out of the Midwest like twice, okay?
0: But if you've been to the ocean, you understand just like how loud those yeah. waves can be just crashing on the shore. And those are small waves. And I believe John says it was the sound of many waters. And uh, this is a multitude of voices. So just think about that voice ringing out through creation like yeah throughout the universe and you know we I've talked about it before I think it was in season 1 because God's word never dies or returns void that means that as his voice is going out throughout the universe it is still creating still moving still bringing life right and then you put in that in context to roar of many waters it's because you can't fathom it you don't understand just how immense because one droplet of water to us is you can understand that, right? Yeah. You can understand, I have this glass of water that is 12 ounces. We, yeah, we can estimate the measurements of the oceans, but our minds cannot comprehend the billions and billions and billions of droplets that it takes to create that ocean, right?
2: Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing. And maybe we should talk about this stuff more, but like
3: there have been times that I know I've heard him speak like that's still small voice. I've heard that. Yeah. Okay. And just, just with that little brief glimpse is. And thinking about like the fullness of what it would be. Yeah. You know, to hear the light, let there be light voice of God
2: that calls out to all of existence
0: and literally makes existence from nothing. Well, and then John comes in John chapter one and he says, in him was light and that life was the light of men. Yeah. And, you know, it, on that first day he said, let there be light. That's the point. Like, and that's why I I believe that his voice is still ringing throughout creation. Uh Uh, We wonder why we were like, man, why is the universe still expanding? Why is it? And we have mathematical equations that can answer all this. And I I love Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I love that. But when I think of that in the religious context, and you think about it in creation, (laughs) the reason it is expanding is because God's word never dies end of story we'll have like, to uh
2: i once wrote a a paper on time dilation and how it affects the bible we'll have to talk about that we'll have
0: to do that later on an episode uh when we get into this kind of stuff because this yeah. is where i spent so much of my teenage years and i feel like most people who get into theology in their teenage years they spend it here which is not necessarily the best thing because you're not actually getting theology. You're learning opinions, yeah. right? You're not really finding God for yourself, but luckily there are people who help you and guide you. And mm-hmm. going back to what you said, like I've heard God's voice. I've heard him speak.
3: And I just think about the times that I've heard God's voice and it's just never been you.
0: in that. Yeah. It's never been in that thundering booming voice right granted like when i say i've heard god's voice i'm not saying i hear it every day and it's a common. i'm saying like these are times when i absolutely had to have it yeah i would say there's like only I, one time i'm absolutely sure i heard him speak i was seeking i, I had a vision
3: this is probably 10 years ago maybe 12 uh, i had a vision and i was like man i, I don't know what
0: this vision meant I don't, I don't understand it, and I know most people are like, "Oh, you had a vision." You're saying that like that. It's like I've had maybe two visions my entire life, and I knew that they were from God. So, but if you're questioning God, this, that, just to
2: be clear, the Bible says that they should be regular. So,
0: yeah. So maybe I should just do better, right? <laughs> I'm more so, saying
2: to the people who are like, "Oh, yeah, you saw any visions? What's up with that?" No, no, no. Ask why you're not seeing any at all. Yeah, uh, but... Sir, this is a church. We have visions
3: here. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, we are not cessationists, so get out of here. Anyway, but I had this vision, and I was, man, what it, what does this mean? And I was searching it out, and I, I studied on it for probably three weeks. There was one day I was just praying. I was kind of... I think I was by myself at our church. I was praying just in the sanctuary there. and. God just, like, hit me. He says exactly what that vision is, breaks down each individual part of that vision from the setting, the scenery, the sky, what I saw. He breaks down each individual piece. And, you know, I I took that back and I, I took it to my youth pastor because I was still under his authority at that point. And... I got shot down, right? I was like, "They're like, okay, yeah, we'll keep that in mind, you know, because I'm like 17, 16, 17 years old. No reason for anyone to believe me. And, you know, six months later, everything that, that, that God had broken down in that vision happened, every single word of it. It was a warning, right? And, uh, and it, had I not had that vision, had I not heard that voice from God, I don't think I would have made it through that. And this is something that I haven't really told a lot of people. And now I'm telling hundreds, maybe thousands on the, on the internet. And that's kind of the way it was. Um, but at the same time, it was a reassuring voice. It was a voice that was trying to let me know, like, hey, you're, you're going to be okay. This is going to happen. But just know I've got you. And... There's been a couple of times like I've God has spoken through men and and, prof- and prophecies or like words of wisdom and things like that. But none more clear to me than when I got that interpretation of the vision. Yeah,
2: I think that's that's very similar to my story. I was at a I was at like a we were planning stuff for my church
3: and I was praying and I was feeling very. very un unwanted it's a common thing in my life
2: like i have all these all these talents and all these things i can do and i have a
3: hard time finding places that i'm able to do things and we were praying and i just heard him say i love you no matter what i love you like just I love you. That's all that matters. That's it. That's the only thing you need to know. And it just like broke me. I mean, that'll do it. And
0: you know, like we've already said here, no one calls your name like Jesus, yeah. right? And, and I assume no one call, tells you they love you like Jesus because I've yeah. never, yeah, I, I've never had God tell me that. I, I, I think it's just all. I, I mean,
2: I've I've heard it from my
0: daughters,
3: you know, my wife, parents. No, nothing comes close. Like nothing. It's just, yeah. It it it's, it was a lot, and and it makes me think just that that, just that little thing in that small voice, and so what would like the full the full voice be or
2: or horror like terrifyingly like this is actually terrifyingly like, what would the angry
0: voice be well think about like moses yeah right that man had daily communion with god basically not only, only mean, that god went
2: i'm going to destroy all of them and moses is like no 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 you're not
3: I you remind <laughs> you
2: like excuse me excuse like, me <laughs> No, you're not, and let me tell you why you're
0: not God. Yeah, that just that's that that story blows my mind. And the thing is, like, I don't think there's another man in the Bible that did that. No, like not even Abraham, who was a who was a friend of God. Not Abraham even disciples. Didn't even do who that. Were,
2: not even Mary, who was his mother. Well, Peter did it, and
0: Jesus was like, "Get behind me, Satan." Yeah, yeah. Peter <laughs> and, uh, tried to do it, and Jesus was like, "Yeah, no, Satan." Anyway, yeah. we're getting a little yeah. bit so off track. This
2: is the thing we could we could talk. The the other shared thing is the face is like lightning, and it's shown like the sun, and I think both of those are implying the same thing. Just the, you know, just the power and the majesty of God. It's just in Babylon they were still on like that God of thunder thing, like Jupiter, and and I know that was still around some in Rome, but I don't think it affected the Jews as much.
3: Yeah, and, and I, so I mean.
2: I don't think it had the same meaning, and so he went, shines like the sun. Whereas in Babylon, the Marduk, again, was a god of thunder. Right. Right? And so I think it it just has to do with that. It had to do with that power. These apocalypses, they're kind of weird to us. Because interpreting them comes down to trying to separate what is a message for the specific people that it's being written to and what is a message that has a separate meaning meaning for people later on like what actually is something that's prophetic to us today and what is it and then after you figure that out you have to interpret what that means for us today that's that's like finding a needle in a vortex of multiple haystacks or something i don't even know like i don't even know how to describe the, well, the the insanity of actually thinking you can do that.
0: I've heard some people argue that the fact that Jesus hasn't come back is evidence that it's not real, that his parousia, his coming is not real, Like, or, or Christianity is not real, right? I kind of think it's the opposite, and I have a reason for that. If you have a people that can consistently put themselves in the shoes of those who might be at the end, or mm-hmm. they're able to look and they're able to say, hey, this is a son of the times. Yeah. I don't see how that, how that discredits Christianity or his coming at all. I mean, the truth is, if people are able to do that, the gospel is going to be preached. Yeah. They're going to say, hey, like Jesus is about to come back. We need to get it together. We need, to, we need to make a big push. We need to baptize people. We need to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to, we need to make sure that these people under, know and understand who Jesus is. And, again, I don't understand why people think that the fact he hasn't come back in 2,000 years means that it's not real. Because yeah. the truth is, whether he comes back 4,000 years from now or two days from now, doesn't matter. Yeah. He's, it's still real. The heaven is still real. Hell still real. And people need to be saved from it. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And that's kind of the thing. Because the thing is, is that ultimately we're going to disagree on what this stuff means. Okay? And as long as you disagree within certain guardrails of, like, really going off the deep end on some stuff, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because you're not supposed to know what this means. It was purposely coded. I thought of this after you started your explanation is that it's like playing telephone except for nobody's speaking a language that anybody else, nobody knows the same language. So you get 10 people and they play a game of telephone, but none of them speak the same language. And the message that they're passing along isn't in a language that any of them speak. There's no way they're going to get that message to the end. Okay. Okay. That's that's what this is kind of like, because it's using a format we don't understand, that we don't have a lot of information on. It's using allusions, and it's using references, and it's using symbols that were understood at the time, but that we don't have information on what they meant at the time. And then it has multiple levels of prophecy for multiple groups of people, but it doesn't tell us which ones for which people. And so having an absolute answer of what these things mean is basically impossible. God can tell us, yeah, but the problem then comes in in that there's so many people who have disagreeing ideas in the church of what some of this stuff means that you just have to get guardrails, know what you cannot mean, and just kind of agree to disagree on some of the minor details. Because the important thing is... It doesn't matter where we are, whether we are alone and in anguish and mourning God's people's distance from their homeland, or we're in a fiery furnace being put to death, or we're in a deserted island in the Mediterranean. In all of those places, we can know that God is with us. In the good and the bad, God is with us. It doesn't matter what we're going through. God is with us. He is with us in his majesty. He is with us in his divinity. He is with us in his power. He is with us in his full authority. He is with us, whether he spares us from the fire or whether he allows the evil king to destroy us. He is with us, whether he frees us from that island of solitude or he leaves us there to await meeting him. He is always there. There is no escape from him. And I say that. Not because we would want to escape, but because even if we did, we could never escape his presence. There's no being away from his hope. We can always find that hope because it's always there, it's always in our grasp. And that is something that we, those who know him, can take solace in. Because one day we will see his face. One day this glorious man that stood before Daniel, that appeared to John, will stand in front of us and we will not be afraid, not because he is not mighty and terrifying, but because he is our beloved and we will know him and we will know in that moment that we can enter in. The book of Revelation 7, 15-17 talks of this day. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will
3: wipe away every tear from their eyes. The thing is, is that our hope is that he comes. Our hope is in him. So come quickly, Lord.
0: And don't forget, catch us on that Pentecostal podcast every Monday. Catch us here at the Jesus Name News podcast every Wednesday, everywhere you get your podcast, Both of those, go like, subscribe, download, whatever you want to do. And also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Jesus Name Network. And we will see you guys in two weeks on July 26th for our new Abraham series.